Forge family, last podcast, I set up a theological platform to help us understand what Zechariah is experiencing and speaking, calling out to Judah to repent. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Savaoth, God Almighty, was crying out to Judah to return to him so that he could return to them. Fourteen times in the text of Zechariah, there appears the phrase, the word of the Lord, which is a signal that God was saying something. In the case of Judah, listening to Zechariah, it was for them to hear and respond out of obedience, and it was the word of the Lord being prophetically projected far ahead into the future. Now, why did the Lord of hosts have to repeatedly call out to Judah for them to return to him? Well, they hadn't repented from their false gods and their wicked ways. And that had resulted in two, you know, over 200 years from, from the time of Isaiah to the time of the, of the end of the 70-year prophesied captivity in Babylon. Those people just wandered. And they lamented and they cried out to God, but somehow their hearts weren't changed. Zechariah is calling out in the name of the Lord of hosts for Judah to repent and turn to God Most High to confess their sins and renounce the sins of their forefathers that brought them into exile in Babylon as slaves. The Lord has promised if they turn back, he will turn to embrace them. All right, let's pray. Lord, we too wander. We too step away from your ways and your righteousness. Please, Lord, we would be quick to turn, quick to repent, quick to embrace all that you offer in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we would be an obedient company, one that helps each other be accountable Lord, be welcomed in our midst, Holy Spirit. So this will be podcast number 13. It begins with the first three of the visions the Lord poured into Zechariah. Having called Judah to return and repent, the Lord returns and, and appears to Zechariah on the 15th of February, 519 B.C., Three months after the word of the Lord to repent and return was delivered to Judah by Zechariah. On that same day, five months earlier, the building of the temple had resumed under the prophetic direction of Haggai. It is evident the Lord took pleasure in that day because of the obedience of his people. Zechariah 1 introduces the visions. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, as follows. <clears throat> I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red sorrel and white horses behind him. And I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. Zechariah is experiencing an open-eyed vision delivered in the night by the Lord. This is not a dream, but a spiritual display of angels and horses. Now, first, Zechariah sees a man 
seated on a red horse, standing in the midst of the myrtle trees in the bottom of a ravine. Behind him are other horses of different and various colors. Now, you need to understand, those horses are spiritual beings just like the angels are. You remember in 2 Kings, Elijah turns to Elisha, his who's a, a younger prophet who's going to replace him when he passes from the scene. And he says to Elisha, today is the day I go be with the Lord. And Elisha says, may it never be. And, and uh, I don't know. Elijah says, well, that's going to happen. And so Elisha says, I'm with you all the way. I'm not leaving you. So they walk away. So they go for a ways. And um, Elijah tries to persuade Elisha to return, to go back. And he says, no, I'm coming with you. Then they run into a bunch of the prophets and one of the prophets takes Elisha aside and says to him, do you know that your master is going to be caught up to heaven today? And Elisha says, shh, don't talk about that. And they go on a ways. And, and suddenly there is a, a rush because there is this flaming chariot and flaming horses that sweep through the atmosphere, scoop up Elijah and carry him out of sight into heaven. So this is the second time here in the text that horses are, are depicted as spiritual beings. In the Near East, there's a myrtle tree, an evergreen that grows in damp bottoms of ravines where there's a trickle of water from a spring. The name of that myrtle tree in Hebrew is Hadassah. This name, Hadassah, was a very popular name for baby girls and their moms. It was the given name of Queen Esther. This tree is most noted for being used by Israel at the time of the New Year gatherings where people of Israel would bring in the tithes, they would gather for the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. When they gathered, then the people of Israel would go to the damp places and the ravines to cut myrtle branches to build little huts, booths, and shelters to camp out on you know, to camp in, either on an open space or on rooftops, because it was a way of remembrance of the journey of Israel through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. The myrtle tree was seven to eight feet tall, so a rider on a horse would still be seen over the tops of the trees. But in this case, the rider on a red horse stood among the myrtle trees, backed by other horses, and, and not yet introduced in the text, but writers as well. In verse 9, Zechariah respectfully asks an angel, a messenger from God in the form of a man who's standing by Zechariah and speaking with him, quote, my Lord, what are these? You see in the text, it's a lowercase Lord. The Hebrew word of respectful address is Adani, not Adonai for the Lord God. And the messenger from the Lord replies, I will show you. The Hebrew word areka means I will make you see. Zechariah heard the messages spoken, but he heard them within him. It wasn't through his ears. It was something resonated within him where he heard what the angel said. When the angel talked in him, this angel appears six times in Zechariah's writings. How many of you have heard the Lord speak within you like that. The color of the red horse 
points to judgment, blood, and vengeance. An angelic rider on a red horse with a great sword appears in Revelation 4 to take peace from the earth. Here, Zechariah has asked his interpreter, what gives? What's up? What's happening here? Instead of that angel that was speaking to him, the one seated on the red horse answers in verse 10. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. The rider on the red horse is here identified as the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. Here, conservative scholars list off numerous appearances of this Malach Yahweh in the Hebrew Scriptures. They believe, as I do, that this is a theophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity. The other angels report to him that the surrounding Gentile nations are at peace, while Judah is still in a snarl, still in a low state of recovery from captivity, still not prospering, still not returned and restored to God Most High. There are those who write that the appearance of these angelic beings and the angel of the Lord in a, in, in a low place, like the perhaps the bottom of the Kidron Valley, outside the broken walls of Jerusalem, are symbolic that the, Jimba, the Gentile nations seem to be thriving, but the Lord has appeared to Zechariah with words of prophecy at a low place in the land, at a low time in the history of Judah. We know from the history of the reign of Darius in Persia that his empire was in constant turmoil, with rebellions rising in Medea, Elam, Parsa, Armenia, and Egypt, and in Asia Minor. The Lord knew that to the eyes of the men of Judah, everywhere else on earth looked like it had it together, and they did not. In verse 12, this angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which Thou hast been indignant these 70 years. Here, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the presence, the pre-incarnate Christ answers, you know, you know he, hears, he, hears, he hears the Lord of, uh, of hosts answering him. Father God answers him. How long, you know, he's, he's asking, okay, he's asking the Father, how long he will withhold his compassion from Judah? And the answer comes to Zechariah through the hearing inside facilitated by the angel next to him that interprets what's happening. What Zechariah hears within and sees was the answer from the Lord of hosts who chose to use gracious words and comforting words. The angel interpreting for Zechariah continues saying, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. But I'm very angry with the nations who are at ease, for while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. This is the first use of proclaim in the writings of Zechariah, and it will follow quickly by a second one as a command to proclaim this. 
when the word jealous is used with the names of God, it is within a context of, co- of covenant, of spiritual marriage, with the Lord and his bride, Israel. His jealousy is part of his longing after Israel to love and obey him. Rarely is the jealousy of God turned outward toward nations, but when it is, that jealousy destroyed Israel's enemies. Here in verse 14, the Lord of hosts says he is extremely jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, for the place he swore that he would cause his name to dwell forever, that's in Second Chronicles, and of Zion, where David established his throne and dynasty. In verse 15, the Lord of hosts continues with his explanation that he's very angry with those Gentile nations that are at ease, paren, and Judah is not, close paren. For he was angry for a little while with them, for a short time with Israel, but those Gentile nations went overboard on oppression, hatred, slaughter, slavery, and scattering of his people Israel. His intent was to discipline his people as a parent would to correct a wayward child. Hard as that is sometimes. He was not out to terminate the relationship. Yes, he sent Assyria to judge first Israel and then Babylon to crush and scrape away the nation of Judah. But those conquering Gentile nations compounded the pain of Israel way beyond the parameters of God's judgment. Verse 16 has the Lord of hosts continuing with, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the word, the, Lord's, the Lord of hosts. And a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. The return of the Lord with compassion and mercy to Jerusalem is for the now. With Zechariah and the men and the women of Judah. But it is also pointing to the next, into the prophetic future for its fulfillment. Even the Lord promises that a measuring line will be stretched over, over Jerusalem. That is an image of restoration, of future building, of expansion and coming prosperity. Even today, builders use nylon line to lay out foundations and laser measuring devices to exactly measure out new developments. The coming completion of the temple that happens in 516 B.C. is just part of that move of God. Verse 17 starts with the second command to proclaim, delivered to Zechariah, to speak, to shout, to cry out, to demonstrate what the Lord of hosts is saying. Again, proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. The operant word here is my, as in my cities. The the people of Judah were still thinking it was their city, their villages, their land, their lack, their degraded state, their depression. And in sweeps the Lord of hosts to take his rightful lordship over their land, their stuff, their relationships, their emotions, and their experiences. When that comes to pass, prosperity will flow. His presence will be noted in Jerusalem and Zion once again. Initial restoration is imminent, 
And as part of the progressive revelation, some of that fulfillment remains for the second advent, the second coming of Messiah. Next in verse 18 comes the second and third vision of Zechariah on the same night. The account of this vision begins with, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked. What he saw before him were four horns. Now the angel of interpretation is present. So Zechariah asks, what are these? The angel is speaking with him and in him responds that these animal horns, these huge animal horns, represent four conquering nations that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In the ancient Near East, horns were symbols of power and the capacity to extend that power and domination. Amongst the idolaters, bulls and rams and goats were sacrificed as symbols of enemy forces, and the horns were cut off as symbols of broken power, broken domination. That was just bloody juju. Okay? Even the altar of burnt offerings in the temple of Jerusalem had horns, stone horns, crafted up on the corners of the four corners of the altar, proclaiming the power of the one to whom the sacrifice was made. Here now comes the controversy with Zechariah. First, there are many scholars who deny that the prophets can foretell, that they can project revelation into the future, or even that they speak, of God, speak for God. Well, that's not so. The Lord of hosts chooses to speak into and through his prophets to his people Israel with short-term fulfillments of prophecies as well as long-term fulfillment. The big touchstone in that, in that argument in my lifetime was the restoration of Israel as a nation in 1948. See, they ceased to be a nation in 586 B.C., and they went all the way through centuries until 1948. And that prophecy, which had long been thought to be a dead turkey by scholars, there it comes in God's time. Second, when scholars bring a doctrinal construct or theological framework to their reading of the text of Scripture, they overlay the word of the Lord and sort of bend Scriptures into, into the shape of their framework. Here, in this verse that speaks of four horns, there's a kerfuffle of magnitude. There are those who say, well, obviously those horns have to match up with Daniel's vision of Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and Rome. Or, or, or was it Assyria, Babylon, Rome, and, and restored Greece? See, that is the construct seized upon by dispensational thinkers. Another look at it hangs on the word scattered and those nations would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and Medo-Persia, or some such order that had, had captured, captured Israelites and scattered them. The problem comes with use of the past tense Hebrew verbs when speaking of future prophecies, as in, they are a done deal from the past. Do I know what the right take is here? No. But may I suggest that the four horns also speak of cardinal directions, north, east, south, and west, 
in those directions, powerful Gentile nations had oppressed Israel and Judah and were oppressing the returned, repatriated men and women of Judah. <clears throat> in those directions had been Egypt, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Syria, Philistia, Assyria, Babylon, etc. There are many of them. I believe that a simpler read of these horns lets the text be past, present, and future as symbols of God's intervention on behalf of Judah. The Lord of hosts now shows a third vision to Zechariah. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns over here. You know, he's pointing, you know, he's gesturing. You know, send some, send, you, you've already seen the horns. So these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. The Hebrew word for craftsman is harash, and it speaks of those skilled metal workers, masons, carpenters, blacksmiths, etc., all skilled workers in the building process. But they could also skillfully demolish. And here the Lord of hosts is going to dispatch those demolishers to terrorize those nations, those horns that scattered Judah. Zechariah was hearing God's plans and he was to proclaim them to the men and women of Judah so that they might have their countenance lifted up and they be filled with praise and wonder at God's works on their behalf. All right, Forge family, who's, who's present in these three visions? You kind of tick them off. You, you have the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, Savaoth, who's present, not, not visible, but certainly speaking act, and, and interacting in the, in the context of the visions. The angel of the Lord, now he's, he is the angel of the presence. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. You have Zechariah, the prophet. You have an interpreting angel open, you know, to, who's there to open Zechariah's eyes and heart and speak within him. And then you have a watching angelic patrol. One vision is of the angel of the Lord on a red horse. One vision is of four horns. And the third vision is of skilled demolishers. A waiting dispatch from the Lord of hosts to terrorize the powerful nations that had scattered Judah. So who's in charge here? Who reigns over the affairs of men and nations? All that said, whom should we call on for our nation in this hour? The Lord God does not forget his people, does not abandon them, but instead is setting in motion his plans for restoration of relationship with him and with the land. While that is specifically true of Israel, it is also true that we who have been grafted into Abraham's line have direct access by the blood of Christ into the presence of God. Grace speaks more loudly than bloodlines. We have the right and responsibility to bring our praise, honor, and thanksgiving before him. We may also bring our needs, insights, prayers, and longings to him, for he knows them intimately 
and loves to fulfill righteous desires in his way and in his time. When you see and sense power being projected to nullify the power of God, the word of God, and the church, do not be afraid. Yes, there are demonic powers on the earth that hate America, that hate Israel, that hate the gospel of Christ Jesus, that hate God's sons and daughters who populate the kingdom of God. But stand firm, press into him, look at what he's doing, and do that. Listen for what he's saying and say that. That way we do not overstep our callings. We do not run ahead. We do not act precipitously or presumptuously expecting that he will bail us out. Instead, walk closer to him. Listen intently to him and Holy Spirit. Search the scriptures for his words to you today and be thankful for his mercy and loving kindness expressed through Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord. God alone has the wisdom and answers that you need and that America needs. Let's pray. Lord of hosts, God of armies, Almighty Father, thank you for the first chapter of Zechariah that speaks of turning to you that you may turn back to us. That speaks of repentance. That speaks of insight and wisdom from above. That affirms your sovereign rule of men and nations, even in the most dark and deadly places on earth. And in the slippery, subtle ways, the enemy would discredit you and lie about you, Lord. You alone get our thanks, honor, and the glory that is worthy to you. Thank you that we get to walk in some of the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecies. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family. God bless you. We'll see you soon.